This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Well, it's good to be with you this January 1st, first day of the year, as you could have anticipated. It's hard not to talk about the new on the first day of the year. And the Bible talks quite a bit about new. New lives. I'm going to have a couple handouts, and I'll put them in the back but I'll uh, share those with you later. Let me read you something. It's from an article. Beat the New Year's resolution rush, read a chirpy email that landed in my inbox as January approached. It was an invitation to join a local gym, first month free. And it served as a reminder that it was time again when many of us vowed this year that this is the year we become better versions of ourselves. Indeed, fitness remains the top resolution every year among those who proclaim new year, new me. In a survey conducted by NPR and the Myers poll in November and December, 44% of 175 American adults said they were likely to make a new year's resolution. Among them, 13% set out to exercise more, making it the most common resolution. Related ambitions to lose weight and eat better rank third and fourth, respectively. Together, there are goals for almost one-third of all the resolutions made. Such lofty ambitions are notoriously hard to keep. The cold, hard truth about our determination peaks and wavers, and how many of us will inevitably fall off the wagon. It's in the data. One analysis from Strava, for example, estimates that Americans are most likely to give up on this resolution as early as mid-January. Mid-January. In a 2017 survey of nearly 6,400 fitness clubs in the U.S., the International Health Racket and Sports Club Association found that 10.8% of all gym membership sales in 2016 took place in January, which is more than any other month, not surprisingly. I would have thought it'd even be higher than that. And the best gym customer is one that never comes. They will tell you that. That's in the data. There's just something special about January 1st, the new year. There are many traditions around bringing in the new year. Some have said to have started nearly 4,000 years ago in Babylon, I've read. You may have some of your own traditions about bringing in the new year. I know some say, well, I went to, you know, I go to bed about nine. You know, that may be your tradition. <laughs> that may be just fine. But everybody has something, something they think about as they wake up in the new year. The new year brings a sense of a fresh start. Maybe it's because we get new calendars or they drop the big ball down over in New York City. 
but the new year offers hope to do something better or differently, especially if things didn't go quite as well in the prior year as we had hoped. It's a do-over, a sense of a reset for some reason. The clean slate, doing things that you had hoped to do in the prior year, but maybe you didn't quite achieve. Seems like the right time to start perhaps a new habit or working on achieving a new goal. Starting a new year is comparable maybe to starting a new job. I think of Dwayne starting a new job, coming to this area and then a new job where he's at now, or maybe moving to a new city, starting a new school. That, that sense of new, that fresh start. It can feel kind of exciting. You know, we buy a new car or, you know, this the whole new, new, new. It just has a good ring to it, doesn't it? In God's word, we find several people who experienced the new. A significant change in their lives. For some, it was a complete 180. And these changes were orchestrated by God for God's purpose. I'd like to share a few of those with you to kind of help you, I guess, review some of the people of the Bible that we may know very well through God's Word and maybe refreshing some of us on their lives and how this new, this new person or this same person but with a new vision served God's purpose. Let's start with Jacob. Jacob means to follow, to be behind or supplant, to circumvent, to overreach. Started out in the very beginning, didn't it, when he was born, right behind Esau. Jacob really was a deceiver, deceptive early on. He cheated his elder brother in two areas. First, out of his birthright, trading it for a, a bowl of soup. And then later, out of his father Isaac's blessing. We read that in Genesis 27, and then in Genesis 28, he flees. He fears what he's done, and he flees. And his father said to him, Father Isaac said, I don't want you to marry a heathen wife like your brother Esau has. He married two. So he fled, and he said, I want you to go to your mother's family, to Paddan Aram, and take a daughter from your mother's brother Laban's family. Well, after Jacob marries two of Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel, intending to the livestock for years, Jacob devised a plan and gained agreement from Laban for his wages by keeping the only spotted in the striped livestock those of the flock. He said, you'll get all the rest. You'll get all the pure. I'll take the striped and the spotted. But as an experienced herdsman, Jacob used some selective breeding strategies 
And the striped ones and the spotted ones became stronger. And he breeded them that way and becoming extremely prosperous, it tells us in Genesis 30, 37 through 43. Well, Genesis 31 starts out indicating that Laban's sons kind of became wise to this and they were no longer friendly towards Jacob. Jacob has taken away, it says, all of our fathers and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. Well, Jacob quickly decides it's time to leave Laban's family. He can sense the tide. And so he decides to leave without even telling Laban. Now, of course, he feels wronged, and we'll read about that. And we see that God is working through Jacob. But he has soured that relationship and decides, I better take off. And I better not tell him because he's not going to let me take his daughters. So he leaves. Well, we know Laban realizes it pretty quick in a couple days and takes off after him. Laban realized that his idols were missing. So he catches up with him in Gilead, but after unsuccessfully searching everything, because, of course, you know, Jacob was unaware that Rachel had taken his idols and basically hid them while they searched everything, they came to an agreement that, listen, this place will be the place that we agree that you'll never cross this place coming to do me harm, and I'll never cross this place coming to do you harm. And that's how it, that's how it ended, and he left. And Jacob returned to his family. But on the way, we read in Genesis 32 that He's about to run into Esau, and Esau is coming with 400 men. Well, Jacob is obviously greatly distressed, and he sends flocks and gifts ahead of him, referring to his servants to say, this, you know, this is from, to tell Esau, this is uh, from Jacob, and to refer to him as Jacob's Lord. Well, he sends his wives across and two maids and Eleven children across the fort of Jebuk, which is a stream. And he's left alone there. And then something miraculous happens. He wrestles with an angel of the Lord. And he strives with this angel until nearly morning. And then finally the angel needing to leave touches his hip socket and dislocates it. And he prevailed against the angel. And the angel said to him, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And he changed his name to Israel. It's in 35.11 of Genesis tells us, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am almighty God. Be fruitful and multiply in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and the kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And you will give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at this place where he had, he had talked with him. What an amazing story 
of a new beginning for Jacob. You know, it was through Jacob and his grandsons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's move on to another character that had a significant change from where she was, and it's Ruth. Many of you know the story of Ruth. She was the great-grandmother to King David. Ruth was a woman of Moab, but and was related to Israel through Lot, the nephew of Abraham. She married into an Israelite family in Moab, and if you know the story, tragedy strikes the family, and her mother-in-law and her and her and the other wife of the other son, all the men die. Naomi's husband and her two sons. So Ruth had to make a choice. Do I stay here with my family in my town of Moab? Or do I stay with my mother-in-law, Naomi, and go to a place that she's never known? Well, she moves, and she goes with Naomi. And Ruth, because he, she adored her mother-in-law, and she had sympathy for her because she witnessed Naomi losing her two sons and husband. And she couldn't endure that. So they made the voyage back to Judah, to the city of Bethlehem. And the testimony of Ruth and what she has done spread. And Boaz heard of her faith. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth acknowledges that she doesn't deserve Boaz's favor because she's a stranger. But like Christ, Boaz blesses her with favor and protection. Ruth is rewarded for her dedication by an invitation to eat with Boaz, if you remember the story. The story of Ruth in the Bible illustrates a theme of redemption, a word that occurs 23 times in the book of Ruth. Boaz acts as a redeemer by buying back Naomi's land, marrying Ruth, a Moabitess, and fathering a son to keep the family name alive. Such a kinsman redeemer is symbolic of the mediating work of Christ. Ruth's position as a Gentile in the ancestry of David and thence of Christ signifies that all nations are represented by the kingdom of God today. Ruth is an amazing story of redemption, of a new life. Well, how about the woman of the well in John 4? Found in verses 4 through 42, Jesus meets this woman on the way to Samaria, on the way to between Judah and, uh, and Judea and Galilee. They cut through Samaria and they meet her there. What's well, about the sixth hour of the day, which is about uh, modern day noon, and it's been in the heat of the day. Uh, most of the people 
would be resting at this time. Most women would have come early in the morning to get the water from the well or late in the evening. However, Jesus had sent his disciples away at this time, and it was just Jesus there. And so when the men left, the, women, the woman comes to get water. You know, as, as the story progresses, we, we regularly learn that the women come to get water in the morning, and she probably wanted to avoid them based on who she was and that we learn and how she's lived her life. Probably didn't want to be around other women to get water, to feel that shame. And yet Jesus, in his divine intentionality, sought to meet this specific woman at this specific time. Through the conversation with this Sumerian woman, Jesus reveals himself three times throughout the story. First, he reveals himself as living water in John 4, 13 and 14. Asking, after asking the Samaritan woman for a drink, he responds to her by offering her something greater. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that has asked you for a drink, you would have asked him you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He is living water that she needs, the wellspring of life. And next, Jesus reveals himself as a prophet. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Well, he knew the answer to this, didn't he? She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands. And the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, she said, I can see that you are a prophet. Shocked by the truth of his words and exposure of her own sin, her eyes are beginning to open to the truth of who Jesus really is. And through this statement, he shows her his word is true. Finally, we see Jesus revealed as the Messiah. I know that the Messiah is coming, she said, who is the, called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is the Messiah. He has now explicitly told the woman that he is the final anointed king that has come to seek and save the lost. Now, as the, all the disciples return, and we meet Jesus at the well. The woman leaves her water pot, there, water pot there and went back and told the men of the city, come see a man who told me everything that I have done. Is this not the Christ? Well, they went out and they were coming to Jesus. Jesus stayed with them two days. And many believed based on what the woman said and then what they heard directly from Jesus. An amazing changed life in a matter of just that interaction with Jesus. How God uses people, how he uses us. Another one is the woman caught in adultery. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman actually caught in the act of adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, the very act. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone this woman. What then do you say? Of course, their intentions were trying to catch Jesus into something that would be contrary. They were saying this to test him so they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote something in the ground. But when they had proceeded in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is out without sin among you, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they had heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman was there in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that God used her like he used the woman at the well to spread the truth of Jesus Christ, a changed life with that interaction. Well, the conversion of Saul to Paul is even more dramatic, isn't it? We know on the road to Damascus, Paul goes, Saul goes from one of the biggest persecutors to one of the biggest, most well-documented advocates of the way. And there's many more. Dramatic changes in new lives. We know about Job. God allowed Satan to test Job. Loses everything, his family, his health, his wealth. And when this trial is over, God restores all to Job. And it tells us in Job 42, 12, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. Have you ever lost something and you thought, oh, it's gone forever? Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a strain in your family and said, it's just never going to be the same. It's never going to be good again. I bet you Job felt that way. But God tells us something different than that. He said it's going to be better in the latter days. That's hard to understand, but God has his ways. And it might be when we're in heaven. But God has his ways, and we can trust in that. The children of Israel, same thing. They all had new beginnings. These people moved forward. We can't expect to move forward if we keep doing the same things, the same wrong things over and over. You've heard the definition of insanity before, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. When God gives you a new beginning, the change, the change the behaviors you have, you used to have. For example, the crippled man of 38 years, Jesus said to him, do you wish to get well? And Jesus healed the man. Jesus later found him in the temple and said to them, see that you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You need to change those behaviors. It's important to embrace the future and to not hold 
on too tightly to the past. This is your hope that God will give you a new beginning. He will provide a place for you when you see nothing but wilderness and desert like the children of Israel. Wandered for 40 years, wondering, God, what is your plan? For behold, it says in Isaiah 65, 17, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or even come to mind. How often do we struggle to let go of the past mistakes? Even after we've forgiven someone or they've forgiven us. David is one example of a new beginning. His sin of having Uriah killed and taking his wife Abigail doesn't seem to start with a character that we later learn is a man after God's own heart, it tells us in 1 Samuel 13. David, a man after God's own heart. You can't read David and go, wow, this guy, man, I feel good about myself when I read about David. Well, David was a special man, a man after God's own heart. Don't we all want to be children of God after his heart? We learn that David's heart towards the Lord despite his failings. In fact, David doesn't dwell on his failings, as indicated in 2 Samuel 22 and also in Psalms 8. He doesn't dwell on them. David, after you read all that he's done, in the verse 20 of Psalms 8 starts, The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his ordinances were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. Now get this. According to the cleanliness of my hands in his eyes. Not in David's eyes. David's referring to the Lord according to the cleanliness of my hands in his eyes. I guess David really understood forgiveness from the Lord. Sometimes we're our own worst critic when it comes to change. God has forgiven us, but we can't let it go. David shows us there that he can let it go. God had forgiven him. God sees you as a brand new person once you've decided to repent and follow him. So as we look ahead into 2023, while evaluating ourselves in the past, are we needing a wholesale change like the Bible characters I just reviewed? Maybe a total about face? Are we needing to make adjustments only? Improvements in our Christian lives? I would believe that many of us have made the commitment to live for Christ, being born again believers. But we also see that there are areas of our lives that we feel like we're just coming up short in fully living for the Lord. Maybe there's areas of struggle we would be uh, including uh, showing Christian kindness in all situations with our family, our friends, and others. Maybe our struggle is generosity or a secret sin or anger or other areas that we believe we are just not glorifying God. The Lord can help each of us. Nothing is impossible with God.
like we work on our good habits, which seem to come naturally. Sometimes we'll look at someone else and like, man, they just, they're just so good at that. You know, I look at each of you and think of the, man, I would love to be like him in that regard. It just comes so naturally. And our bad habits sometimes are just so difficult to overcome. Let us also understand the source of our bad habits and institute changes to help us overcome them. We each can acknowledge that these areas, acknowledge these areas and repent of them, making amends by reconciling with others where it's necessary to provide for healing. Perhaps some of us have goals that we want to achieve in these areas or others. Maybe we have tried before and even in the process of trying to achieve those now. Maybe with mixed results, but don't give up. Remember that God is a God of mercy. As it tells us in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, his compassions are new every morning. I don't know about you, but I've definitely woken up many mornings thinking of that specific verse. Thanking the Lord that his compassions are new every morning. Maybe you've been trying to sew a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, as the analogy is in Mark 2. Or you've been putting new wine into old wineskins rather than putting new wine into fresh wineskins. Maybe a new approach is needed. Now I'll give you a warning. Here comes a running analogy. Maybe you've never run much at all. Maybe... Running to catch the bus as a kid was the last time you ran. (laughs) But you decide you're going to run a marathon. So you look at the required distance. You look it up, oh, 26.2 miles. And you start out the next day and you say, I'm going to run 26.2 miles. Is that realistic? Of course not. Sometimes I reflect on behaviors that I've displayed and believe that running a marathon from scratch like that would be easier than responding differently to a given situation. It seems so hard. Maybe there's something in your life like that. You're like, man, I would, it'd be easier to run a marathon from scratch than me respond differently to this person when they say this. Sometimes it's just so hard. We all have our issues, don't we? Like the examples of fitness resolutions in my opening comments, we can start out too strong and have unrealistic goals for ourselves. And when not immediately achieved or we stumble, we become frustrated and want to give up altogether. Starting new habits requires planning, incremental goal setting, measuring, and review. We benefit from writing down goals, measuring progress, and then reviewing it to verify We're on track and then adjusting as necessary. That's why there are a plethora of fitness apps and programs out there, right? So let's refer to that as the first F, fitness. The second F may be finances. What do we do when we have financial goals? Well, we plan it out, we create a budget. We track our progress, and then we review and adjust as necessary. 
But what about the final F? And certainly not in priority here, or order of priority, our faith. Is our faith something we can improve on? A faith that we can deepen? I believe so. I believe the father of the little boy as found in Mark 9 cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When I read that, I hear, I believe, but deepen my faith. That's what he's crying out to Jesus for. Like Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We pray for strengthening in our faith. Unlike tracking miles or dollars on an app or an Excel spreadsheet, deepening our faith is a heart issue, a heart issue. But I believe we can do things that will deepen our faith in God and be disciplined about it. Time in God's word. Maybe you're going to follow a reading plan of some sort. You're like, I want to spend time. That's our relationship. God has given us his word. If you wanted to know somebody from the past who said, I documented my biography, I documented the things I want you to know, if you wanted to get to know that person, what would you do? You'd read that book or that series of books. God has given us his word. If you want to have a relationship with the Lord, that's how you do it. You get to know him by reading his word, memorizing his word. And there's a hundred different approaches, aren't there? And I'm sure we've tried them all, we feel, you know, and I'm learning from it. Maybe reading the psalm, one psalm a day, or reading a devotional or some regular schedule, listening to God's word preached. It's what we come here for, to worship the Lord and learn from teaching. One of the best ways for me is, hey, Derek, you're on the schedule to preach. Okay, I got to dig in. That is by far one of the best ways that I have learned to study God's word is to try to share it with someone else. Nothing makes you dig down deeper than that, at least for me. Or how about a gratitude journal? Janice keeps a, a journal recording what she's thankful for. Or maybe it's time serving our neighbors, loving our neighbors. If you want to know who your neighbor is, I can't quote you the verse, but it's in there. Who's your neighbor? You've heard it said that love is an action. Someone may say, I just don't love my spouse anymore. Like it's only a feeling. Advice is given to do things to show love and the feelings will follow. Your brothers and sisters in Christ may be a critical component of your growth of your faith. For me, running and my running community, a couple guys in particular often help me tremendously achieving my running goals and improving my race times. When my alarm goes off in the morning, if I hadn't committed to meet somebody, to run you know, somewhere, meet them there, oh, it'd be so easy to just, oh, I'm going to run at lunchtime today. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run tonight, you know. 
But when you've committed to do something and somebody's going to be there waiting for you, that's called accountability. How do we establish that accountability? Some of it's right here. I'm going to be here today because I know my brothers need me to be there and I need them. That accountability can be tremendous. Now, some people are kind of maybe like lone rangers when it comes to things they want to achieve. They don't, they don't really maybe benefit from the community. You know, there's some people I see that just, they're going out there, run by themselves every day. It's like, wow, that is tremendous discipline. And maybe you have that in your faith goals. Uh, but if you don't, if you're more like me, you, you need the encouragement of others. I think we all benefit from that. We need our church family. We need our community. I benefit greatly from my wife helping me see blind spots and encouraging me, encouraging me in many ways. It's not easy to hear at times, but I know she loves me, and I know she wants what's best for me in my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with my family. That's the kind of accountability I benefit from. Maybe you also. That person knows you the best. Let's strive to grow our faith, drawing closer to our Lord and the sa our Savior in 2023. Let's pray for each other and help each other in our walk and continue to do that, I should say. It's one thing I love about our family here. Let's remember 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, New things have come. Now, I have a handout sheet, and I'll put these at the back after our uh, lesson today. If you'd like to, after our worship today, you'd like to pick one of these up. But it's full of scripture that reminds us that we are new in God's eyes when we submit to Him. I also have a chronological uh, Bible reading plan. I did, I did this in 2020, uh, reading through the Bible, and uh, it was, I, I really found it good for me to, to read through the Bible. Now, I have copies of that. It's a front and back copy. Um, maybe that's something that benefit you. Feel free to take one. Like the Bible characters I shared earlier, God gives his people the opportunity to put their sins behind them and give them a fresh start. God always makes a way if you will turn to him and obey. Now, if you haven't given your life to Christ, believing on him as the son of God, repenting of your sins and being washed anew in the waters of baptism, which is the act of being buried with Christ, it's from Colossians 2.12, and then coming up out of the water as a new creature, a new child of God. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today, this very first day of 2023. That would be the best way to start a new year ever. But if you've done that and you've given your life to Christ in this way, but recognize that you do want the prayers of your brothers and sisters here, 
an invitation song. An invitation song is called that for that reason. It's inviting you to come forward when we stand up and sing and, and ask for the prayers of the congregation here, your brothers and sisters, or give your life to Christ through the act of baptism. That is my lesson this morning. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll now have our invitation song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.